that we are finishing this week, our series called What If? Following the journeys or the encounters of some folks with Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark, putting ourselves in that position, asking, what if that were us? What if we encountered Jesus anew all over again? What sort of questions would that prompt? Invitations would that create in us? And so today we have the story of Bartimaeus asking for mercy outside the walls of Jericho. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. So I am trying to live in harmony with spiders. I blame the mosquitoes who decided to build to plague-like proportions earlier this summer and left me resorting to desperate measures like this uncomfortable alliance with my natural adversary, the spider. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, they say, and so I have pushed myself to grow tolerant of the bug-catching webs carefully strung between the post on the deck railing behind the house. Spiders are not the worst neighbors to have, as it turns out. Their webs have a sort of elegance and sophistication to them when caught just right in the morning sun when the dew droplets are still clinging to the strands. And over time, I have begun to admire the tenacity and the faithfulness of the spider who turns day after day to repair and restore its woven creation. When I catch glimpses of them, I pause and I recognize the surprising diversity of shape and color between all the spiders who now call my back porch home. Some religious traditions are careful to remember insects in their teachings on the sanctity of life. Humans should not disregard the life of even God's smallest creatures, they say, which is an inspiring reminder when I'm standing on my porch admiring the spiders. It is a much harder reminder inside the house. Spiders are better neighbors than roommates, but I'm trying to unlearn my instinct to simply block them out of existence on sight. They may not want to be inside any more than I want them to be. They might be more trapped than trespassers. It's possible that the spider would be on their way if they had even the slightest inclination of the right direction. And who among us doesn't know that feeling of being trapped and not sure of the way out? We are a people that love our three to five year goals and strategies we design to get us there. We love to problem solve our situations and work our way out of messes. We love to set our sights on the mountain in the distance and chart a path through the valley on the way. Given all our love for long range planning, we also know all too well how quickly it can all crumble, leaving us sometimes trapped with no clear way out. And so, I try to remember this with compassion and capture the spiders, returning them outside. There's an author I admire, named is Mary Pizzullo, who told a story once of a spider she met in the middle of a lake, a small yellow-green arachnid perched on a delicate leaf floating there in the water. It was the serenity of the scene that caught the eye, but the precarious of it that drew the author's attention. 
Whether aware of it or not, this spider's continued existence relied on a less than seaworthy vessel, which was already taking on water. The spider was trapped on a sinkless leaf in the middle of a lake, as the end would have come quickly, if not for the hand of a merciful swimmer. Mary lifted the leaf in the flat of her hand and started to make her way swimming towards the shore. She made slow progress, carefully keep that hand above the water as she moved out from the center of the lake. The spider stirred a bit, perhaps from the motion of the movement, and it made its way off of the leaf and onto her palm. And Mary watched as she swam, and while not normally a fan of spiders, she found this one beautiful light. It's a tiny bit pickle, pretty much, as it moved. And when it started to wander a bit too far down the wrist, she would simply interpose her other hands, and the spider would climb obligingly on. And as she continued through the water, the spider traveled from hands to hand to hand, and back again until the lake grew shallow, and Mary walked out of the water. And on the shore, the spider crawled across Mary's hand one final time before departing for the dry land. And the little yellow-green spider was lost in the yellow sand and green grass. What great mercy to be ferried to freedom from hand to merciful hands the entire way. This, too, is the story of Bartimaeus in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, shouted Bartimaeus so from somewhere within the crowd. We're told that Jesus and his disciples are leaving town, having just arrived and now already heading out of the city of Jericho. And as with all travelers on a journey, there's an impatience to be here and to keep moving. They're focused on the destination without time for distractions along the way. But a blind man named Bartimaeus is yelling as loud as he can, Son of David, show me mercy. And Jericho is an unusual location for gospel scene. The last time somebody shouted outside this city, the walls came tumbling down. In that story, tucked near to the start of the Old Testament, the Israelites have left the desert after 40 years to enter the Promised Land, but Jericho is the final obstacle that stands in the way. It is an ancient stronghold described as being shut up inside and out. It is a place that traps and holds occupants. The people of God are halted in the story but only for a moment, and their leader, Joshua, guides them through. Perhaps it's notable that Jesus is a, G a Greek translation of the name Yeshua, which itself is another way of saying Joshua. Have mercy on me, cries Bartimaeus, trapped without sight or any kind of societal assistance with no clear way out except the call to Jesus as Jesus walks on by. The crowd tries to quiet Bartimaeus to keep him trapped there in Jerusalem, but he shouts all the louder, and the walls of Athens begin to crumble. And for the first time in the entire Gospel of Mark, Jesus stops and stands still. He calls forward the blind beggar of Nigeria. He asks him, What do you want me to do? It's not the first time Jesus has asked this question. Moments earlier, on their way to Jericho, James and John, some of Jesus' disciples, had come to Jesus with a request. And so he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And they told him. 
one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Oh yes, let us rule alongside you, they say. Sit as close to you so that you cannot hardly move your arm without hitting one of us. Oh, they want to make long-range plans, establish their own security, that promise upward mobility, that assure them of their future comfort and stability and status. But Jesus says, no. No, because they don't understand the journey that he's on. When the question is put to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus has a different answer. To see. And with the word, Jesus heals Bartimaeus. Go, he says, for faith has made you well. But Bartimaeus doesn't go. Bartimaeus follows. Though he doesn't know where the back will go, Bartimaeus follows. With no assurance of position or privilege at the end, Bartimaeus follows. And indeed, the journey from Jericho leads to Jerusalem, from there to then trial and crucifixion and death, but also resurrection, and Bartimaeus knows none of this. Bartimaeus wanted only to see Christ standing before him and the dusty road where they stood. He wanted eyes that could direct his feet, eyes that could follow Jesus' path and show his trembling limbs where to walk wherever the path might be. Bartimaeus cried out for mercy enough to take the next step, mercy enough to find himself in the palm of God's hand. And like the spider, who cannot hope to see from the center of the lake all the way to the shore, there is only ever the next step placing our path, the journey stretching far into the unknown and yet leaving us forever in the palm of God's hand. There's a story I read once in an autobiography of a missionary named Brother Andrew, who, during the reign of communism in Eastern Europe, spent years smuggling Bibles to Christians across the Iron Curtain. And before his career ever began, he was trained at a missionary college in Scotland. And without any savings to his name, he relied on God to supply the funds necessary to pay the school a fee each semester and to buy just a few toiletry items. And after having studied for several semesters, managing his finances just enough to make it work, his visa was set to expire, and Brother Andrew needed to mail his paperwork back to London. But he didn't have the money to mail a letter. Because mailing a letter cost a shilling, a single coin. He tried everything and everyone he could think of, but couldn't find a way to get the money, and so started to feel trapped, sure that he was about to be sent home from his training. And on the morning of the last day that he could mail his letter and have it arrive on time, an acquaintance came by asking for money. While he was outside talking with this man, Andrew spotted a single shilling shining among the pebbles in the gutter. He picked it up as discreetly as he could. He thought about keeping it for himself. After all, giving it to the other man was sure to mean that it would be spent at the pub by the end of the day, if not somewhere worse. But eventually, he relented, and he gave the coin away to his acquaintance, as he knew was the right thing to do. When he returned back inside, he found a letter waiting for him that contained 30 shillings. And so he traveled from hand to hand, rarely able to see all of what will come, but granted mercy 
enough for the next step, whether it comes in vision or in blessings in a single point or 30, enough blessings to follow one step further behind the one who leads us. There's a prayer long practiced in the Eastern Orthodox tradition that captures well this spirit of Bartimaeus, is sometimes called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, it goes, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's sometimes taught to be prayed with every breath, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the intake of breath, and have mercy on me, a sinner, with the exhalation. Others have learned to use it with Protestant prayer beads, repeating the prayer over and over again with every bead on a loop. It's a prayer that seems to beg for repetition, a prayer for mercy enough to make it to the next bead, mercy enough to make it to the next breath, mercy enough to make it to the next step. This is the never-ending prayer that Bartimaeus knew well, and so we are also invited to adopt. What if we prayed for enough mercy just to take us to the next step, even if we cannot see where the path will take us? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Friends, let us continue in worship with our next hymn, which is Open My Eyes, that I may see number five, uh, 454 in the hymnal of the Lord. 